This is the Tomato Tomato Podcast. It's a movie podcast where we talk about movies. I'm your co-host, Chris. With me, as always, is the other co-host. Jenna. And we're kind of shaken because Chris accidentally coughed up a bunch of phlegm when he tried to record the intro for the first time. I don't know where it came from. It's just like, (laughs) man, I'm going to interrupt your intro right now. Which is like a very violent coughing fit. It was very violent. It was crazy. Like, like it looked like I was patient one in like a virus movie. (laughs) Oh, God. Like, oh, no. Oh, God. So that means you're like anyone in Trump's cabinet because they all look like patient one. (laughs) Where it's just like, oh, God, you look like you're sick and you're like not telling anyone that you secretly have the zombie virus i secretly do i'm wearing long sleeves to cover up my bite marks i hope you don't because then (laughs) that will be that will make my life really hard to say that i'm dating a zombie (laughs) oh oh hey there's a movie about that that is true but it also is kind of depressing in like i didn't see it it, so we can get to that movie at some point. yeah i have it on dvd it's like cute but depressingly cute in a way I don't know, Aww. but yeah, we'll we'll get to it at some point. But today's movie that we're talking about, we teased at the end of last week's episode in a very vague way to where the entire time I was watching it this time, I was like, was I right? Are there actually <laughs> doves in this movie? And I was, but I couldn't remember. At the tail end. Yeah, it's been like four years since I've seen this movie. So. Uh, yeah, so the last time I saw this movie was never. Oh. You never mentioned that. Yeah. I, I was I, gonna like drop that bomb on you that I've never seen this before. <laughs> I now that I, I now that I've seen it, I don't have to lie to anyone anymore and it feels great. <laughs> this is one of those movies when feeling. people talk to me about like Blade Runner was like, Oh yeah, remember this part and then this thing happened and it's like I'm just yeah, yeah, nodding my head. <laughs> pretending i know what i'm talking about because it's one of those movies where i feel like if i say that i haven't seen it i'll be instantly barraged attacked bombarded uh-huh. with comments and people it's like why haven't you seen blade runner uh-huh. and i i just i didn't want to deal with that so i i just politely nod and agree i completely get that i mean there's like it's not something that necessarily it's not a thing where our generation would have been like provoked to see Blade Runner before the sequel coming out. Like there, yes. there wouldn't have been any real reason to like seek it out and watch it because it's not necessarily this gigantic thing within our generation. With like a little, like I mean, it, it does have this following behind it, but it definitely because yeah. like my whole my perspective is like coming from. I mean, we're doing a film podcast, yeah, where uh, we're both heavily evolved in nerd and pop culture <laughs> with work or respective works and stuff mm-hmm. um so it feels like it should have been a thing i should have consumed already but i have that i i do what you do where it's like i'm gonna pretend that i've seen this thing just to like smile and nod i have done that so many times with an embarrassing number of things i have pretended that i've seen smallville more times than i've actually <laughs> seen clips of smallville that. we it's will okay. we will fix that we have our potential <clears throat> Smallville podcast that will be a thing at some point but it's one of those things where if someone asks me a question about Smallville I pretend that I completely know what they're talking about because it's like just defer to me and I'll help you along yeah (laughs) and I can just whatever ridiculous thing they'll say about Smallville it's probably correct because that show is absolutely insane but yeah so I mean that that makes a lot of sense with me that you haven't seen this movie before but I'm glad that we did this then because 
I yeah, because I I'm sure uh, we we will have different opinions and perspectives. On yeah. This okay. Men. So I want since you're a first time viewer, I want to hear your thoughts and your general impression. I guess before we go into the specifics. Yeah. So yeah, and, and if this is your first episode of the Tomato Tomato podcast, basically every week we just choose one movie and we look at reviews for it and we just just discuss those reviews. Uh, so yeah, if we pick three if you didn't reviews, read the di- which we pick like two that go against our opinion and one that like conforms to our opinion, so that way it's not just like a circle jerk about how great a particular movie is. It's like actually trying to figure out what people have said negatively or positively. Yes. So <clears throat> before we get to those reviews, uh, my views on yes. this. <sighs> I'm conflicted. <laughs> okay. Because uh, and not seeing it till now, I feel like there's all this hype build up mm-hmm. of how it's such like a big piece of cinema and how important it is mm-hmm. and how well done it is. So I had that going in and yeah, it's not, it's not bad. Okay. I can appreciate it for what it is. Uh huh. Um, I'm not in a rush to watch it again. <laughs> I love how like gingerly you're being with your comments. Because I don't want to say that it's just bad or uh-huh. poorly done. Because it, it's it's it's. I don't know how I <laughs> well, so feel. Then, I'm still. Is, well, so then this is really interesting because last week you were saying something when we were trying to pick a movie. You were like, "I want to find a movie at some point that we disagree on," and I was like, "Oh well, we'll get to that at some point." And now we've already gotten to it a week later. <laughs> We have. I mean, that like, was very quick. Yeah, I. Um, because part like, of it is that for... yeah, part of it is for me. I'm not someone who's going to like be like, oh, it's the pinnacle of sci-fi and it has the best plot and it has the best everything and blah 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 blah. But I and part of it is I've only seen it like once or twice before this, and the first time that I saw it was at a college class that was at nine in the morning, and I almost fell asleep because I would fall asleep every time that we would watch a movie, because it's like it's nine in the morning, and I'm in a comfy chair in the dark, but (laughs) so this, like, I have a fondness for this movie, but I also accept the fact that it isn't like the most well-done sci-fi movie ever, but I, f- I yeah, I feel like if I watch it again, I have some time yeah. to sit on it beforehand. Yeah. I, I might like it, not like it more, but appreciate it more and get more into it. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, this movie is style over substance. Yeah, I, that's valid. And part of it is I also haven't read the book. I, I like, I completely Which, forgot it was based on a book until we were looking at the reviews yeah, for this, and it, then I was like, oh crap, I should read the book at some point. But, yeah, if you don't know, yeah. Blade Runner is based off of, inspired by the Philip K. Dick novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. Which apparently, I mean, we'll get more into it with the reviews and stuff, but I guess uh, the book has more humor and, like, in it and more doesn't, like, the, human element to it. Apparently this like was not a good adaptation of the book. No. According to one of the reviews that we will get to. But yeah, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like, it's not that we disagree on this movie. It's just I think part of it is that 
I think I have a bit more of a fondness for it than you do, which might, which came through when we started to watch it because I was like, I was kind of hyped. I was like, we're watching, I'm watching Blade Runner again. This is fun. And you're just kind of like, okay. But then like now that kind of makes sense knowing that this was your first time and that it is a lot to take in when you watch it the first time. It is because it's like other movies we've talked about on here. It kind of just drops you in. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I, it does open up, it front loads you with exposition, yes. which I've totally missed that era of movies. <laughs> the, like, title where, crawl. Yes, yeah. they have the t- title like, crawl. I'm back. And... Like, we had that in, like, we, the only main thing we have that now in is, like, Star Wars. But I, I wish that that was, like, a more consistent thing, especially with, like, genre movies like this. Right. Like, a lot of 80s sci-fi movies, it's, like, a staple. Yeah to front load you and here's exposition and everything you need to know and all the background information you just don't get that anymore no and but there are certain franchises that are out now that i feel like in a way that could kind of benefit from like i I can't think of anything off the top of my head but like i know that that would be a stylistic choice that like more films could kind of use and they don't really use it anymore because i think it's kind of like oh it's an outdated thing and like only star wars uses it and blah 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 but it's like no it's it's helpful in something like this when you're creating this completely separate world like it, it feels like a good thing to kind of bring in to get people to understand what's going on so with with blade runner i i basically had uh, I knew what it was about uh-huh. but I didn't expect it to play out like it did okay. I don't know I feel like there were stretches of time where it's like uh, I don't want to say nothing happened <laughs> I completely agree I, I, I think of like I had very to f- fondly but there were still moments this time around where I found myself like looking down at my phone at something for five minutes like googling something or whatever and then I would be like oh I missed nothing in the course of the film but it's also which I had to remind yeah. myself no pay attention you haven't seen this before oh yeah and it's like oh, no, you didn't really miss much. Yeah, it's just one of those films that kind of does that. And I think I, it's just the style, too, that they were, yeah. that film noir. Yeah, like, I, I give I, them I, credit I, for trying to do that. I give them, like, for for making it the film noir kind of, like, slower moments of, and, like, that weird sort of structure. Cause again, uh, yeah. also, we should we should preface by saying we watched a later cut of we this movie. We watched the director's cut. Which doesn't have the narration yeah yeah so so do you want me to run down the different cuts for you just to like (laughs) yes let's do that okay i'm like since since this is like your first introduction to all of it the weird thing is is that like if you go to like versions of blade runner there are seven different cuts on the list but only three of them like actually matter well because part of it is like they had a prototype cut that they showed for test audiences they showed a sneak peek in San Diego, which is a weird thing because it's like a Comic-Con kind of thing way before Comic-Con. Yeah. And then they had the theatrical release, which was the first experience that I ever got to this movie, I think, possibly. Part of it is that I can't consistently remember because I feel like the first time I saw it when I was in my film class, I saw the director's cut. But then I do definitely remember seeing the like happy ending scene at the end which you haven't seen since we watched the director's cut, but it's no. basically just like Deckard and Rachel flying in like in a spaceship over a bunch of trees. And then it's like, Oh, is it like the ending of Greece? <laughs> kind of, sort of. 
I'm like, I should just like, we should pause and I should send you the ending so that you have an understanding of what I'm talking about. But it, it, it's one of those things where, from my understanding, Ridley Scott did not want that in the movie at all. And then they just kind of made him throw it in because they didn't think anyone would know what was going on. And he hated it. He was like, this is the worst. I, it, <laughs> it ends this movie on the note that I like do not want to end it on at all. So then, then he made the director's cut, which took out all that narration and took out the happy ending and made things way more ambiguous because that was like how he wanted it to be. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm gonna send yeah. you. Yeah. So speaking of ambiguity, yeah, that was a lot of the movie for me. <laughs> of not understanding what's happening. The fuck is up with that unicorn? Okay, so. The unicorn was initially a much more confusing thing because so in the happy ending or in the theatrical cut, there is not a vision of a unicorn. That was a thing that was thrown in in the director's cut. But so at the end of the movie of the theatrical cut, from my understanding, they just show the unicorn, but there's like no context for it. So it's like even more confusing going into that. But in, in the director's cut, they threw in the vision that he has when he's looking through all of the pictures. There's like mm-hmm. five seconds of him imagining a unicorn. And then it, and then that kind of bookends with the thing at the end. Which do you, what do you think they're trying to insinuate with that? Since this is your first time. Okay. So first, I don't get that fucking avant-garde shit (laughs) here's random clips of a unicorn that has deeper meaning that you have to surmise yourself no like it can be done well but (sighs) maybe hollywood has just brainwashed me with their mindless stupid blockbusters i don't know you're like the transformers franchise never had a unicorn yeah where's my transforming unicorn god damn it okay i want that to be a thing though like honest honest to god that would be a logical direction at this point but okay so yeah because i know it's a whole debate is like oh is deckard a replicant and everything and i've had to bullshit my (laughs) way into answering that not knowing anything about deckard not knowing anything about it it's like oh do you think deckard's a replicant like oh what do you think (laughs) it's like you don't know who deckard is you don't know what replicants are well i knew he was the main character Uh because i just kind of context clues and everything yeah um but i really have no idea Uh i mean we know he's in 2049 yeah and the movie establishes his uh that replicants have a four-year lifespan. Okay, so... I, I don't know let if me, there's something else. Let me else. explain you a thing. So the, <laughs> the running theory, from my understanding of it, is that replicants in the core of this movie, like, the, the four that they're trying to chase after are Nexus Sixes, and that's, like, their make and model, sort of. And the, the theory is that Deckard would be, like, a Nexus Seven or a Nexus Eight, where they were able to expand the lifespan of the replicant to make it to where he would be able to live longer because Ridley Scott basically said about 10 or 15 years ago, he was like, yeah, I totally was insinuating with the unicorn thing that Deckard is a replicant because that was a, um, like an implanted memory, kind of like the ones that were implanted in, in Rachel. And so, so he he's totally that was totally his intention and just having Deckard not realize that he's really like a more um 
advanced model that can live longer. I have no idea how that's going to be addressed in the sequel. I'm like really curious about that. Yeah. That's kind of like the fact that he has lived as long as he has is a really interesting thing. But now that you kind of know the context of it, does like does that make sense or am I just speaking gibberish? No, no, it it, it definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of things that I don't know if it's lazy writing yeah. or it's like we're gonna leave it up to you to interpret yeah kind of thing where it's like this unicorn has deeper meaning <laughs> that we know but we're not gonna tell you you can figure it out yeah like the one movie that comes to mind that kind of has an ending like that is something like inception uh-huh. where i feel like the kind of is it reality is it a dream yeah is more i don't want straightforward but it's more clearly laid out for you to where you make that, like, you, you're you able to make that conclusion one way or another by yourself. Yeah, I don't have to figure out what the question and the answer is. Yeah. Inception's like, here's the question. I get that. that you figure out the answer. I completely get that because... Where Blade Runner yeah. is like, figure it out. All of it. Well, and part of it is that, from my understanding, the, the question just kind of came about as people watched the movie it wasn't like as you can well, yeah, tell because there's watch- the point where rachel asked yeah it's like oh did you take the test yourself yeah and like there are hints to it in like because i this was the first time since this is the first time i've seen it in a while like i was watching it completely with the context of like deckard being a replicant and trying to see what i could pick up from that and there are like kind of hints of dialogue here and there that make it an easy thing to allude to but it's like you said it's not like an an inception kind of thing where they pose the question and then you're supposed to answer it this is just like you're supposed to pick up the question on your own and i think that was kind of what the fandom did as they were watching it was like yeah i just don't know if handled by another director Mm -hmm. or writer if it would have been played out differently well that's why yeah for me because a lot of time and effort was clearly spent on style Mm -hmm. over the substance yeah but part of it is also not having read the source material i was like how much of the substance is this missing or is the actual source material this kind of like esoteric sort of thing like even though like it the book from what or from my understanding has like more humor to it and more subplots and stuff it's like is it told in this kind of way where there are like all these big gaps that you have to fill in or is yeah. it a more consistent kind of thing but yeah that yeah, that's so, what, i don't know that's why i'm excited for the sequel because it's a different director and yes. so it's like i'm really curious to see how he ends up handling kind of the lore of it all but yeah do we yeah, so but before we discuss any more of this yeah uh let's jump into the reviews yes good idea so the first review that we have comes from the Christian Science Monitor, <laughs> uh, reviewed by David Stirrett. Probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, it's, it's from 1982, so it is from the release date or time of the movie came out. Yeah, originally. I tried really hard and was very like went down a very confusing wormhole of attempting to find reviews as like as close to the actual release date as possible, and not so much about like 
the the re-releases all the years later because like we didn't really talk about the three cuts but like there's the theatrical cut there's the director's cut with which was what we ended up watching and then there's the final cut which is like completely a different context of the story so they're like i wanted to make sure we weren't like reading any reviews about the final cut since that wasn't yeah. what we were watching but like we have two reviews about the the theatrical one and then one about the director's cut which i think is helpful but this one's about the theatrical one and it also is a rotten review so keep that in mind as we're kind of discussing yes. it um uh, yes yeah, so the review um kind of has the same critiques that i have <laughs> Um, it says the plot is ordinary, uh, which I kind of agree with. It's, it's okay. a very straightforward plot, at least the main plot of the movie. Like the cop, okay. cop, cop, uh, brought back in to hunt killer robots. Yeah. When you put it that way, it's really simple, but it's one of those things where like, like you've understood from attempting to BS your way through it, like actually unpacking it is a little more complex in a way yeah i mean it but like the the, the quote, elevator to pitch, quote track it, it's like an onion it has layers but yeah like the elevator pitch of this movie is pretty simple it's like killer robots got released a hardened cop has to come in and try to stop them or whatever yeah while falling in love with a robot himself so which i didn't buy into at all okay well we will get to that (laughs) um but yeah this review i think i don't know if it's because it's a christian outlet or whatever it like it talks a lot about the violence and which is kind of interesting that was part of why i picked this review because i felt like it was a toned down version of the issue we had with that atomic blonde review where it was just like let me approach this from like as christian of an like an angle as possible and just like chastise all the violence and the gay stuff and whatever yes but which the violence in this movie i had no problem with it's fine i'm sure like by by 80s standards it might have been a little much but i've seen so much worse like and uh ridley scott was coming off of alien which was much more violent than this exactly like so yeah this is way more toned down yeah this is way more toned down in terms of like violence and darkness and all that sort of stuff i think just because this has a darker aesthetic than alien in a way mm-hmm. then it's kind of like oh well this is so nihilistic because it's dark and there's violence but <laughs> yeah and then it also this this review really likes to contrast to tron yeah i i i guess there can be a comparison made there i don't really i also have not seen the original tron so <laughs> I can't, like, really yeah. judge, but... So, the review says, for the background, um, filmmaker Scott and his colleagues have created a meticulously realistic setting, a damp, overcrowded, under-policed Los Angeles that seems true down to the last detail, uh, which I agree with the, the attention to detail in this movie in creating this kind of neo-noir, futuristic L.A., mm-hmm is great i love the detail Mm -hmm. and the look of everything okay so that was part of why i was kind of ranting last week because part of what frustrated me about um 
whatever the name is, God, I'm like Captain Planet, basically. <laughs> um, but Sky Captain, that was what it was. Yes. But my issue with that was like, it, it the CGI in that and the world building of that was so much less believable than this movie is when this movie came out like 15, 20 years beforehand. And so that was kind I of do, where like, I was yeah. like, you don't have an excuse because other people did this better with way less. <laughs> yes. And this movie makes such good use of practical effects. Exactly. Too. And like... And practical sets. Well, and, and like my... Honestly, like, and part of it is I do love the style of this movie. I think that's part of why I have such a fondness for it is because, like, the world that it creates, I think, is really interesting to look at. But, like, all of those shots of the city where it's, like, the giant billboards and the stuff flashing by and whatever, even to this day, I'm like, that is so realistic for the time period when so many other sci-fi movies did not look that good. (laughs) My one kind of complaint about, like, this setting and the look and everything mm-hmm. it's it establishes at the beginning in los angeles but it really doesn't need to be la mm-hmm. there's nothing that says la about this movie to me yeah i always forget it really that could set be set anywhere yeah because like it's like oh come grab a drink with me at like sector four or whatever it's like that's like a nebulous uh, arbitrary location like this could be new york it could be Boise, Idaho, for all I know. Yeah. There's nothing I, LA specific. I completely about agree it. with that. I feel like it's just a thing that that they chose to throw in like to throw well, in. And, but I And the book is set in San Francisco. Yeah, one of the other reviews goes into that, but like in which I had never realized. But I think that it, it does seem like such a footnote, but it's something where it doesn't really bother me that much. But it, it I don't know, it was just kind of like their interpretation of yeah. what it could kind of be and i think their my, their mindset of it might have been like we can't set this in new york or chicago or whatever and then have the buildings not look anything like those places but since los angeles is yeah. so not like built up heavily then we can pretend that this is los angeles and all of these new skyscrapers and stuff are our creation and whatever yeah that's true yeah i mean it's it's a small complaint so i'm kind of i can let this one slide yeah ridley but look out next time. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. I, th- I think the, the world building of this is like w- one of my favorite things of this movie because it's like such a like rich thing to look at and it's never like you don't feel like it's fake. Like you know yeah. that it obviously is, but it has this weird realism to it to where you don't like it doesn't take you out of it the way that like Sky Captain and a couple of other movies that we've talked about really do to where it's like obviously set in this fake thing. But yeah, I I don't know. This review also talks about since it's the original cut, it talks about the narration which we have not been privy to, but it says that even Ford considers the narration foolish judging by the way that he reads it, which is kind of an interesting thing. I can under like I get like the the narration comes from that film noir uh, genre and it's a trope, but yeah, I don't know how I'd feel about having that. From my understanding, it just, it's it's superfluous. Well, because from my understanding, Ridley Scott did not want it either because like it was a thing that the studio threw in. 
because you can see with the director's cut that was why when i was finding the reviews i asked you i was like did i have a stroke and completely <laughs> forgot this or does he actually have narration in this movie and you were like oh no he doesn't and i was like oh thank god but like it, i get it from the film noir aspect but i also get it from the studio kind of budging in and being like let's try to make this more accessible so we need him to like over explain everything now that i'm thinking about it I, I kind of want to see that cut because I don't know if it'll uh, help my <laughs> understanding or grasping or enjoyment of the movie. Uh-huh. No, I'm I'm not saying I need my movies like to spoon feed me yeah. in information, but you're wondering a, if it would have filled in the gaps. Yeah, because I guess a lot of it to kind of uh, some of the narration goes into his history with his ex-wife. I don't get like I don't get that from any of the reviews, but part of it is that, from my understanding, because the the second review that we're going to talk about talks about the narration a little bit more in depth, and from the pull quotes that they use from the narration, I'm glad that I have not seen the cut with their narration because it seems like cringeworthy, like unnecessary level of like exposition, to where it's stuff where it doesn't really seem necessary. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm sure it's like an equal footing of stuff that's actually beneficial to the plot and stuff that's just kind of nonsense. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't expect a lot of the narration to be spent on unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also curious if the sequel will have narration at all. Cause it's or unicorns? <laughs> well, the unicorns will, will be. Will Ryan Gosling be riding a unicorn? <laughs> that is what you These are de- the important questions. That is what you demand in life, is Ryan Gosling <laughs> riding a unicorn. I will Photoshop it myself if I have to. Please. It'll be the new cover to my romance novel <laughs> coming out soon. Oh, boy. But, well, because, like, Ryan Gosling barely speaks in the trailers for 2049. Like, uh, Which is fine, because he's handsome enough. He could just stand there and yeah, I let that slide. Yeah, but it, it is kind of, but it's kind of interesting, because it's much more that noir sort of thing of, like, I'm such a grizzled cop that I don't even speak until I meet Deckard in his weird little hovel, and then I start yeah. talking to him. So Which Deckard doesn't do a lot either no he doesn't do a lot of talking he just kind of floats around and there were long stretches of the movie he he does more talking than i had actually remembered in this movie like he he's good at kind of faking his way through a conversation if necessary that's where we relate (laughs) but like the scene where he is at the like strip club and he puts on the fake nerdy voice. Oh, yes. Okay. I loved I, that scene. I had that, to- bit- that was a scene I had totally had slept on the past couple of times that I had watched this. Like, it never occurred to me how good of a scene that is. But, like, his dorky voice that he's doing, like, delighted me. That I wanted more of that Deckard being a detective uh-huh. and just sneaking around and doing stuff like that. Because I was like, all right, let's let's go. Let's he's solving stuff and then he puts on that voice and it's like all right cool (laughs) i I, it would have been hilarious if that was just deckard's like normal characterization (laughs) like just go through the whole movie with him like being this like nerdy like nerdier kind of more polite sort of guy and less sort of like everything's changed me i'm just not gonna speak whatever like i like let me eat my noodles <laughs> those noodles did look good we both were like i want noodles now even though it's like 10 30 in the morning um but yeah it i don't know I, I really like that was one of those scenes where i completely had forgotten about it and 
totally had slept on it the past couple of times, but I was like, this is think, a good scene. I think, I think I like that scene the, the most because it Deckard showed humanity yeah. and emotion. Yeah. And a lot of this movie doesn't have that. <laughs> but that's the goal. <laughs> I know, but I feel like, okay, does, so. Does this look like anything to you? So. <laughs> I'm surprised so, it's taken me 40 minutes to make a Westworld reference. Jeez. No, okay, see, I was going to reference another uh, thing okay. that that was probably inspired by this that has the Edward James almost connection. Uh-huh. So he's in this, and he's also in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, uh, okay. So this, and so, so okay. a big, a big part of Battlestar Galactica is that. Thank you for educating me because I'm Battlestar Galactica. Like that is one of those things where I pretend I know what people are talking about. Okay. So please educate so, me. So, so one of the plot threads of the show is um, there are these robots called Cylons. Okay. And then the Cylons evolved to make better silence that look human act human and feel human okay and there are a bunch of cylons who are not self-aware they don't know that they're cylons and so part of the the show is figuring who they are because we don't know okay who they are so uh and it's kind of like these people that you've grown to know over the whole course of the show they show human emotions and they have attachments and all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, they were robots the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it does a really good job of that. Okay. So I kind of had that kind of frame of reference. Like, oh, this is how you can do human robot stories. Yeah. I get but, that. Yeah. But like... like Granted, you- that's a TV show that developed over episodes and years. And this is a two-hour movie. I did but. think I was like, this would be an interesting format for some sort of tv show like even like a mini series yeah. or something like i feel like there's enough of a story to tell here part of it is that the movie is such a like a beloved kind of thing that it's not i, I can't see it existing like that but i mm-hmm. like i feel like there's like an alternate universe where instead of making the movie they made a mini series and it kind of like dove into that a little bit more yeah i just don't know if i want it a little more like humanity from yeah. the replicants cuz like otherwise they're just mindless murder machines that can fight and <laughs> well, have and like witty banter it's like yeah I, can't. Yeah, the- I know you want me to feel for them and their struggle to live because they have evolved and they feel emotions and they want to keep living, but it's like I don't feel that. Well, for and them. part of it, like going to another sci-fi thing that very obviously, like surprisingly so, upon rewatching this, is very influenced by Blade Runner. Um, so, like we we talked about Orphan Black a little bit as we were watching it because there are all of these hints throughout Blade Runner that kind of make their way into Orphan Black. And, like, the original novel, from my understanding, is, like, a huge reference for Orphan Black as a show. But what made Orphan Black successful and what made it worth actually watching is that you get those different points of view and you get that humanity to kind of latch onto. Whereas, like, in this movie, the main reference of like something that you're supposed to latch on to to be like oh all the replicants are good is the the rachel duncan literally named rachel who's like the self-aware kind of pro-clone robot who doesn't like who is like removed from the rest of the situation i would think because like she's supposed to be our like 
simply she's like our entry point yeah into but but the, i don't know how successful of an entry point that is like i it, don't think it was because it, it would be interesting to kind of see something mm. more outside of it and to see just like a more like because the basis of of her humanity is just focused around a, I'm doing air cro- quotes uh, romance <laughs> with her and Deckard. Well, and just her kind uh, of not wanting to die. Like, yeah. That's basically Which I feel like it. if they focus more time on that. Yeah. Uh, just on the replicant's point of view of like, we want to live. And like, I wanted to see her deal more with the, the revelations like, oh, shit, I'm not human. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a replicant. And these memories implanted in me are false. Uh-huh. Like, give me more of her dealing with that and coming to the realization and i don't know feeling betrayed by tyrell or Mm -hmm. whatever well and i think part of it is that i think that's kind of where the is deckard a replicant question kind of spun from is because then if you approach the movie with that angle then you can argue that there's like some sort of extra humanity thrown in and there's like a different side of it and whatever but even then having him be a cop and having him having his whole life be like killing replicants the fact that that's never really gone into in the movie from the like directly from that angle of him possibly being one then doesn't really give that extra potential like storytelling potential or humanity that we're kind of talking about yeah yeah i'm like i this is weird because it's like i love this movie so much but then like the more that we're talking about it i'm like oh shit you're right like there are (laughs) these like genuine inconsistencies with it and like if another person had tackled this it would have been really interesting even to yeah that's why i want to see like i'm uh, that's why i'm excited to see 2049 now especially now after seeing this yeah because it's a whole new direct i am assuming a whole new writer too yeah tackling this world uh, like with these established characters, but with a new perspective on it. Yeah. And with a lot of time in between the two movies. Well, and like my hope is that it kind of, if they do like outright confirm in the movie that Deckard is actually a replicant, I hope that they like actually tackle it instead of kind of what this movie does where it's like, it's up to you to interpret it and we're going to yeah, leave I, all these clues. I really hope they don't. They, <laughs> But I feel like they won't though. I don't because know. they're going to keep blue balling you. Oh. I know they because if they put a definitive answer on it, then that takes away. It's like it'll be like, oh, Dennis Villeneuve is coming into my home and taking my DVD of Blade Runner and pissing on it. Well, okay, I feel like there are going to be people who are going to have that regardless. Even when I was oh, googling definitely. Blade Runner, there was this one article that was like Ryan Gosling and Dennis Villeneuve don't care if you don't like their controversial Blade Runner. So I'm like, all right, I don't know how it's controversial. I'm going to find out when I go see it next week. But like, I, I, I'm sure that people are going to be pissed off about it anyway because it's a sequel to something that they don't think should get a sequel. But yeah, yeah. so either way, it, it it's gonna be divisive to the people's like i want an answer if he's a replicant or it's like no i don't see i i i'm one of those people where i want an answer i'm i'm like i would love to see just kind of how they tackle all of that but i'm also fine if they don't because like you said it kind of keeps with the pattern of like blue balling you a little bit. yes but yeah do we want to get to the second review yes okay. the 
Are we doing the the, the Washington Post one? So we we ran into an which interesting one? yeah we ran into an interesting thing where I accidentally picked two reviews from the same outlet, but they're written at different points in time by different people about different cuts of this movie. So it feels yes. like a and different are, perspective. And there's ten years between them. Yeah, so it, it 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 creates a completely different perspective, but then it also has this weird like this weird thing to it of them both being from the Washington Post. But yeah, so we're going to talk about the first one, the one that's just titled Future Cop, which I'm like, okay, you're very unoriginal. (laughs) Yeah, it's written by Gary Arnold and it was posted in 1982. Um, I don't even, I'm trying to think of where to start with this review. Me too. Um, Yeah, it... It talks a lot of these reviews talk a lot about the architecture and about that whole world building thing that we kind of talked about. But like, it's very good at world building. Yeah, but like, not every reviewer seems to think so, from my understanding, because this one, like this review, says, um, "Blade Runner begins to look rather grotesque, like an acrobatic dancer who seems rip at the act of performing a split," <laughs> which I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, like the argument that this review seems to make is like. Why did you have to make it L.A.? And why did you have to make it this, like, gritty-looking thing? And blah, 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 blah. There's one bit in this review that I disagree with. Okay. Uh, it says, Although extremely effective as Baroque superhuman menaces, much better than the alien trio in Superman 2. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Terrence Stapp as Zod is much more charismatic and interesting to watch than Rutger Hauer's Ray, Roy? Roy. Roy, yeah. I'd rather watch Terrence Stapp Zod than I think, Rutger I don't Howard. know, I think they're both interesting from different angles. It, Roy, it's, a, it's a weird Roy comparison. was not interesting to me until his very last moments. That That's totally valid. That's exactly... When he was a waxing poetic. Yeah, that's he was exactly like, what I had. My memories yeah. are washing away like rain. Uh-huh. It's like, where, where was this the entire movie? <laughs> where is this poetic android... Person. Like you said, we didn't when the rest get of it, enough time to really sit with them, and then the time that we sat with them was so bizarre that then it paints this weird picture of them that is like not—I don't know—it's it makes it hard to figure out what characterization they have. Exactly, like if Roy was this poetic person throughout the whole movie, showing humanity yeah. and can make uh, like these poetic gestures, I would have felt much more for him throughout the whole movie and then when he actually died instead of those last minutes like oh we're gonna cram in some humanity into him <laughs> right before he dies yeah it i don't know i'm like you're making me completely rethink this movie because i totally <laughs> oh, i totally agree though because yeah because like because the, and the I, majority of the movie he's kind of your straight played villain yeah he i just and i noticed he has that a this time goal through, and like, he's gonna execute it and kill anyone who's in his way yeah i noticed that more this time through where it's just like like it, he, all he was missing was like the mr burns like twiddling his fingers kind of <laughs> evil laughter sort of thing but it, it like and even then you like meet him at such weird points throughout the movie that like because like you meet him in like a little bit in like the first act and then you meet him like closer to the end of the second act and then in the third act but it's like that i don't know you you get like these little glimpses of him but you don't really get 
necessarily completely consistent characterization yes so yeah i it's still so weird to me that this review compared to them to superman 2 because it like it's a weird comparison to be making it is it's i don't it's a very thin comparison yeah there's not a lot to it yeah so Um, i'm reading through this review they're talking about the narration quite a bit and like i said this is kind of where i said that the the pull quotes make it seem like the narration was awful because it says yes they don't advertise for killers in the newspaper that was my profession ex-cop ex-blade runner ex-killer and then deep thoughts also reverberate on the subject of his past sushi that's what my ex-wife called me cold fish it's like I I would have hated this movie if that was included. I would have groaned <laughs> exactly. if I had to hear Harrison Ford say that. Exactly. So that's why I'm it's like, like, how dare you make him say those lines? Exactly. And it, but it, like I said, it seems so much like a studio thing of like people aren't going to understand this movie. We need to throw in narration and have it be god awful. So like that was why I was glad that we ended up watching the director's cut because I'm yes. like it it's so cringeworthy. And then there's another point where he talks about his um his boss that M- Emmett Walsh's character and he then calls him like he says that he's the kind of guy who would call someone the n-word and I'm like all right yep. okay I'm yeah. really glad this isn't included because <laughs> it would have put the weirdest taste in my mouth throughout this entire movie so yeah it's just so I'm so glad that it's not included it's so weird me too. And yeah, it says it's invariably over-explicit. The narration tells you more than you want to know and probably need to know despite the murkiness of certain aspects of the plot. So that's kind of what I... That was my point earlier, is that like you were like, oh, well, what would it be like with the narration? And I'm like, it would just be bad. It would not have told you anything extra. It would Like, it would, yeah. like the, the narration's goal was to give you backstory to kind of get into Deckard's mind when all the information that it would have gave us was just superfluous unnecessary the extra and it sounds like it's thrown in so inconsistently it's like you either blanket the whole movie with that or none of it exactly. instead of just like random points throughout the movie but yeah it i don't know then this review talks a lot about rachel and how she's dressed like she's from the 1940s and difficult to accept yeah which you kind of said that a little bit. I want you to go into that. Yeah, so I've... I like her character, <laughs> but I want more. Okay. How, uh, how so? I wanted to see her struggle with the realization of yeah. her false humanity. So you want the Rachel Orphan Black storyline and not Which the, basically, yeah, yeah, it would be retreading Rachel Duncan's story from Orphan Black. Yeah. Um... I mean, granted, we're comparing a show to a movie, so obviously there's time constraints. <laughs> yeah, but, well, but I also feel like th- there were moments where they could have. Yeah, like I, it, it felt very weird to me watching uh, Deckard force himself on Rachel. Yeah, that was. There's very jarring. weird undertones with that. That yeah, it, it, I did like, not like. That. It's not as bad as some of the other like quasi assault scenes that you get in movies from that time period but there was still this kind of undertone with it where i'm like i don't feel comfortable i did not because he was like wait like kiss me kiss me hold touch me or something's like oh no 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 yeah no, I, no. I, I just kept I feel waiting. uncomfortable I'm like, I'm right waiting now for her to like actually consent and not just be yeah because like, then he like whatever. slams the door shut yeah. and it's like oh no don't go there <laughs> like i was like 
regardless of her being a replicant, it's like, no, just don't do that. Because, like, we could have cut that scene and I would have rather had a scene of her dealing with her own shit. Or you just do, if you're going to set up some sort of romance with them, set up, like, some, like, they kiss once and then that's it. Like, do the thing with the, like... not basically assaulting and trapping you here and by the end of the movie we're professing our love for each other, which... Yeah, but I feel like that's also, like... A testament to '80s films, because it, yeah. like if you were to do like an, an analysis, I feel like there's way more that include those like borderline assault scenes than than like probably people realize. Like oh god yeah yeah it, it's it's weird how much stuff was able to get by and no one thought anything of it, but it also is weird to me because like the the affair with Rachel is apparently a big factor of the book. And then yet the way that it's presented on screen is like, like we said, this weird, like forcing himself yeah, on her. Because sort of it's, thing. it's this whole affair he has with Rachel and his ex that's yeah. in the book and it's not here. So that's another thing that adds to Deckard's humanity. I almost would have. Like, I have a wife, but now I feel for this robot lady. Yeah, I, I wish now that I think about it, I wish that the wife was factored in in some way. Because yeah, I, I know then, that it makes him more, like, less of a conventional hero if he, like, is cheating on his wife with a robot. But then it also would have created this extra layer of... of if, if he's all, a replicant, yeah. then he's he's had a previous marriage, he's had relationships, is and it's like that would have added so Dude, much does more. Does she know that he's a replicant? Like, exactly. It would have it given this, like, extra angle of his life that isn't necessarily present in by just having him interact with Rachel. And if that was in the movie, that would lend more to, like, he's a Nexus 7 yeah. replicate and all that. And I would have liked to have that, but we didn't get that Ridley Scott, did we? <laughs> You're just like, come on, Ridley Scott. <laughs> uh, instead, we got those, like, weird toys and stuff. The whole, like, toy maker kind of thing. Well, oh, my God. I forgot was... how dumb that is. Like, this... honest to God. I was like, oh. Like, there were good choices in this movie. That's not from... one of them. No. I could have done it, away like... with that entire Ugh. character, personally. I, like, had forgotten how much he factors into this movie. And... Too much, because there were long stretches of him with the replicants i was like let's get back to deckard we're wasting screen time it yeah i wish that there could have been another way to do the like i'm gonna meet my maker and you're gonna help me kind of thing without having to make this weird ass angle to it but then like part of it is i'm also like i guess it's fine because that whole ending set piece of the weird creepy mansion is like such an iconic setting that I'm like, it, it, I'm glad that it took place there, but I also wish yes. that we hadn't had to have met that whole character with the advanced aging disease inexplicably and all of this other yeah. creepy toys and stuff in order to get to that point. Yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> I don't. I, it's, it's weird because it felt out of place, but yet in place for the world that was established. It's such a it's, it's 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 a huge anachronism in a movie that's full of anachronisms, because it's which like this movie is because like everything it's bits and pieces of other things put together and it's somehow cohesive. Yeah, but then that like the weird Victorian toys is such a weird wrench to throw in it that I could have done without. Like every time that one of those scenes started, I kind of was like half paying attention because <laughs> I'm like, this is just I forgot how weird this is. But 
Yeah, it... I don't know. Yeah, uh, the review also goes on to say... Uh, Blade Runner plummets when it contrives its cross-species love story. <laughs> Which, I... I Now that we're talking about it more, I don't disagree with that. I don't... I can't buy into their love story. Yeah. I can... I, if it was more of, like we need to team up so we can survive because I'm also a replicant then yeah. I can buy into that but n- I can't buy into it especially after Deckard forcing himself on Rachel well and like they don't take enough time to really go into it because yeah. like the the scenes before when they start having a, any sort of romantic tension there is not romantic tension like when when he's administering the test and when she comes to his house with the picture and stuff it is kind of from that angle of like we need to help each other sort of thing but then it yeah. immediately left turns into romantic tension where it like could have used a little bit more build up i feel like Mommy, how did you meet Daddy? <laughs> oh, well, honey, he was testing me to see if I was a robot. Also, you shouldn't exist because I'm a robot and I can't <laughs> have children. I don't know. It, it it could... The more that... God, you are making me rethink this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> but, like, I do like it. I still have this gigantic fondness for it that is not going to go away. But Which I feel like, me... I, like I'm sure at some point I'm, I could, too. Yeah. Like given some time have, between well, seeing this and seeing like four, an, 2049 you at least have like an aesthetic appreciation for it oh totally which is good because that's like that was my main thing where i'm like i hope he appreciates like the look of this movie because it's one of those things where it's like one of my favorite like cinematically done like movies of that time period but like it part of it is you're not necessarily making me completely rethink this movie but you're making me realize elements of the plot that i wasn't able to put to words before okay yeah so i'm thankful for that because well i'm glad i can help with that yeah and i'm I'm glad that i can help you not have to bs your way through conversations <laughs> about Blade Runner. but yeah um do we want to go to the third review yeah so jumping to the final review which is also from the washington post yes but it's from 1992 so 10 years later after the original theatrical it's also written by a woman and it's also (gasps) what pretends to be shocked (laughs) but so yeah it's it's written by rita kempley and it's more about the director's cut from my understanding or at least more just kind of because by by at this point the director's cut had already come out so it's kind yeah. of approaching the different angles and stuff. But um, it includes a quote from Harrison Ford that makes me laugh, where he, at one point he said, it's a film about whether or not you can have a meaningful relationship with your toaster, which <laughs> I kind of, I love that. I. It's funny because um, also on Battlestar Galactica, uh-huh. they refer to Cylons as toasters. Nice. I did not know that. That makes me happy. Now you know. Nice. But yeah, it... But then it's also kind of funny because it's like, so I was looking up the like Deckard replicant thing to kind of be able to like talk to you a little bit about it. And apparently Harrison Ford like vehemently did not believe that Deckard was a replicant and had been saying that for like 20 years. And so like that's part of why the toaster thing is kind of funny because it's like if he had approached it from his own character being a replicant, it's like. It's a story about whether or not two toasters can have a meaningful relationship, <laughs> which then yeah. turns into something else altogether. 
but see i think i like if he's a replicant that's fine yeah. but i also think it's more interesting that he falls in love with a replicant yeah but then maybe i don't know see part of it kinda... part of it is me just kind of thinking with the sequel in mind and i'm also kind of like i don't think they're gonna address any like his main plot is not going to be any romantic stuff obviously so yeah. it's gonna be more just like ryan gosling trying to protect him which would make sense if he was this like model seven replicant that's been hiding for 30 years and they want to kill because he shouldn't be out there so yeah i have no idea what the the plot is of 2049 the plot from my understanding i'm i'm wanting to know as little as possible going in but from my understanding from the trailers it's basically like they've been looking for you kind of like so i'm here to protect you and so that that would make sense if either way i think but i think it's kind of an interesting plot thing to have him be like the old model replicant yeah but well, i don't know we'll just have to wait and see by the time this comes out the movie see, will have already come out so then people will be like come on you you should see, know about an hour or whatever anyway what that's interesting because like you have this whole thing was like they're hunting him yeah this like this replicant and then in the movie like they they announce like there's these replicants out there we have to get them and there's like chases through city streets and mm -hmm. buildings and no one in the public bats an eye yeah no one it, it's so this, like i want to know what the city's view on replicants are and why they're not like oh my god he just killed a replicant and so, it's like this movie I, is weird the, because that's a part of the world building that i feel like should be there there's this weird world analogy that you can make with like the entire angle of the original movie and like real world historical context and stuff because like when um what's this oh my god Rutger Hauer when when he calls himself a slave and whatever and like they established that in the opening crawl that like most of the replicants are used as like slave labor but so I think it's kind of that mindset but then it's also okay. weird because because it, it it is a mixture of both of those things of what you were just saying and what I was saying but then it's it's a weird angle because there's this slave analogy in a movie with zero black people. <laughs> yes, that's another thing too. Is like I really like that angle. Is like I, if they had gone more with we are replicants and we want freedom. Yeah. Like we're just basically sentient beings now. Yeah. We're free of thought and emotion. Why are you using us as slaves? Mm -hmm. Like if they went more for that, I that would have been interesting too so kind of but we, westworld but season you, two <laughs> basically yeah so why didn't you give us that ridley come on ridley there are so many different angles that this this world could go into that are never really going to get gone into in like a movie which is kind of frustrating yeah now that i'm thinking about it there are all these different angles they they could have gone with the replicants it's like we were used as slaves and now we want freedom and to live like human beings or we're robots who feel emotion and we just want to be equal and feel love and love you and we just want to meet our maker and just move on with our lives kind of thing exactly yeah it, but instead it's like we're replicants we're gonna we're crazy kill you. <laughs> yeah like we wear grease paint and crazy perm hair and show off our muscles and wear tight shorts i was like where when did a replicant learn to 
do kung fu and flips and gymnastics well, that's part like of it, that. Is that like it, it is kind of the thing of like what are they capable of what are they built to be able to do we're not even really given that yeah because they said they they were used as slaves essentially it's like to and, do and what? they're built like, as the, the they next say, evolution of human and all this sort of stuff and it's like but we like don't they said the was it Pris? Was a yeah. pleasure yeah. replicants? Like, okay, obviously, like, she's a just made robot. to be a... Uh, yeah. yeah. But it's like, we never really get any clear indication or an example of what they actually do and, like, what they're capable of that makes them... Because part of it is it's like, oh, they're the next level of human evolution and they're so much better of an understanding, but you're also giving them a really small lifespan, so... And making them slaves, apparently. Yeah, so it's like, I don't understand. You did. They didn't go enough into, like, what the goal was with the replicants to even begin with, I feel like. Yeah, again, if, if we had more concrete backstory on them and what they were doing before... I might empathize with them more. Well, and it's like it's like the Westworld movie versus the TV show, even though I haven't seen the Westworld movie. But from my understanding, is it's it's all told from the human point of view, and it's like yeah, you're made to robots, sympathize blah, with blah, the blah. humans on the movie. Yeah, but then it's like it, it it would be like doing a Blade Runner TV show now and only telling the replicants' point of view, but which that's basically exactly what they did with Westworld. But that makes me wonder if the sequel will be a version of that or if it won't or whatever. I think we just kind of have to wait and see. Um, I like the theory that, like, of course, if they can make perfect robots, they would make Ryan Gosling. But (laughs) of course. Yeah. I mean, come on. But we'll just have to see what that actually ends up being. Um, Yeah. Let's let's look at this review. I'm trying to think of what else. So it kind of talks about the initial critical reception, which was not good when the movie first came out. Which was basically how I feel. Yeah, like the first impression, and especially the first impression with the theatrical cut, it says that critics, many of them anyhow, reviled it for the drone of Ford's Ford's voiceover narration and the upbeat Hollywood ending, but the film persevered. So that was kind of the initial response to it was Mm -hmm. like this movie is confusing and weird and also they threw in all this extra hollywood garbage that was not necessary yes so yeah it's kind of a this movie is such a unique spot because it has all of these different evolutions to it whereas like you don't really get that like the closest thing you get is like george lucas continuing to update the visual effects in all the star wars movies like that's kind of the biggest example i can think of that's relatively similar yeah that's the only kind of other one or situation where i can think something like this has happened where there's different cuts where the director keeps going back and tinkering with it yeah um yeah i'm trying to read through this review um so apparently the the novel talks a lot about the character we hate and like don't want to be in there apparently it goes into sebastian a little bit more than than like the Hmm. movie actually does which see now i'm beginning to think that the this book was either too long or there was so much packed into it that a two-hour movie does it a disservice yeah it's it's weird because I know so little about the book, but it's just kind of, I don't know, it's interesting the more that I am reading about it and, like, understanding of it. It's, like, how this lived well, up as an adaptation. Well, going back to uh, 
Orphan Black, wasn't that originally planned as a movie? Yes. So I think I can't imagine Orphan Black now God, as no. a two-hour movie because it, the replicant treatment would probably be the same to the clone treatment where we get these little snippets but not enough to it would, attach to them. It would, like, Sarah would meet Rachel in the third act and then immediately kill her and then the movie would be over. Like, yeah. it would be very simple. You wouldn't have that weight of, like, years of build-up and development and constant all these constant danger and peril yes. and whatever which they kind of hint at at the very end of the movie when like deckard is about to like die and then then wrecker Howard's character is like oh well now you know how it feels to be hunted and blah 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 which was kind of i was like i want more of that that was really interesting <laughs> me too everything in their last that scene uh-huh. with them two uh where he stops him from falling to his death mm-hmm. and says poetic things to him. It's like, I wanted that character. Yeah. The, like, even with this movie's plot being crazy, I always look forward to the third act for it because it's, like, such a strong and very odd third act. But it just, like, it, is. it just, like, goes for it. It's just, like, super extra and, like, packs all of this stuff into it, but it doesn't feel out of place. It's just, like, a good conclusion even Mm. if the story leading up to it didn't really line up with it but yeah it like i love that third act i think it's really interesting um it says blade runner never feels heavy or pretentious only more and more engrossing with each viewing which i personally agree with (laughs) you i mean like you're not in the yeah so i mean i'm only one viewing in yeah so i'm sure with subsequent viewings and then it, when I see 2049, if it'll, I wonder how it'll affect my my views uh-huh. and thoughts on the original uh-huh. Blade Runner. Yeah. It, um, I'm really glad that we're watching this before, like, going to go see 2049. Because even for me, it had been too long since I had seen the original. And I feel like there is now this added layer of, like, remembering how the original handled all of these different things that I'm going to have when I go into the movie, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of glad for. Um, but yeah, it. I'm trying to think. It says that in the director's cut, he kind of enhances the relationship. Oh, wow. So the original cut really had nothing then. Yeah, which is weird. I'm like, what? how did it enhance it? And what did it add that like wasn't in the theatrical cut? don't know i'm hoping that it's not just like the inclusion of the almost assault scene (laughs) like yeah i hope that's not what they're constituting as developing the relationship because that's not doing that yeah um (laughs) it compares i had completely forgotten that ridley scott directed falma and louise but wait what yes yeah did I just blow your mind? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I completely forgot it until like the two two of these reviews mentioned it, Holy and then I was shit. like, "Oh yeah, that's right." But yeah, because it it says that um, Daryl Hannah's character and Joanna Cassidy, the snake dancing replicant, aren't quite as resilient in as Ripley and Alien, but we see their moxie reiterated in the heroines of Scott's 1991 road movie, Thelma and Louise. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just like you're just shook. like wow. 
I'm shook. And also, I have one extra bit of trivia at the end of us talking about the reviews that is going to make you even more shook. But I've been saving it for the end. I'm excited. Okay. (laughs) It's not as much as the the vulture conversation that we had in our last episode that will eventually Mm. see the light of day. But it'll still keep you kind of shook, which I'm excited about. Um, but yeah, and then, like, this kind of answers your question about the unicorn thing. It, like, like I said, they, they didn't include the unicorn, like, weird vision thing, which it does feel kind of out of place when you're trying to decode the movie on a very first viewing. But yeah. when you know the significance of it, it does make a little bit more sense that it's thrown in. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that you need to see multiple times to appreciate and understand yeah because that's why i think like when it was first released people just didn't get it and they panned it and now decades later it's hailed as one of the best sci-fi movies yeah um which is kind of an interesting like we haven't really had that with our movies that we've covered on this podcast we haven't had something that's like drastically changed the perception Uh of I don't know. I think 20 years from now, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow will be a favorite. And everyone will, like, what were we thinking? What were we thinking? Gwyneth Paltrow is the, the, like, best actress of our time. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Uh, um, I can't stomach that. I know you can't. Uh, I need to send you an article. There was a, like, click hole... (laughs) thing about Gwyneth Paltrow like a parody thing and it was like Gwyneth Paltrow lived on food stamps for a week and then she died and then all these people are like oh is she okay and they're like yeah but she died (laughs) (laughs) which made me laugh and made me instantly think of our conversation about her nice but yeah I think we're done I don't know with this with these reviews although it does end with saying every viewing of Blade Runner brings new discoveries um and revitalizes treasured visual memories of course those who have only seen it on video really haven't seen it at all just the shadow which was kind of an interesting testament because when this movie like when it got out of theaters and then it found its all of its audience it was because of like vhs (laughs) which is such a weird testament like i I love movies like that where that was kind of how something gained a following was like passing vhs tapes around Basically. Yeah, to our uh, younger listeners, <laughs> a VHS. Oh boy! It's Dan. It's a video uh, that you put in a giant box. <laughs> it's like a DVD but bigger. So like, I have enough moments where it's like, it, like me revealing my age about certain pop culture references. But the <laughs> fact that you're sitting here explaining VHS. Even though I don't think anyone who listens to our podcast does not know what a VHS is. But yeah. I think that's kind of hilarious. But yeah, I, I also just realized we've never talked about the tomato meter score for this movie. Oh, you're right. We didn't. Yeah. This is the first thing we do. I know. We're like off We broke format. format. It's surprising. Um, so it's certified fresh at 90%. It has 95 fresh reviews and 11 rotten reviews which when you go to read the rotten reviews about two-thirds of those do not exist anymore which was why it was kind of hard trying to find rotten reviews for this um and then the audience score is 91 percent with an average rating of four out of five and it, over three hundred thousand user ratings yeah so uh 
the tomato score and audience score isn't really a surprise considering you know rotten tomatoes wasn't out uh, a thing you know in 82 yeah. um so of course people are going to go on here and give it high ratings um the critic consensus consensus though says uh Misunderstood when it first hit theaters, the influence of Ridley Scott's mysterious neo-noir Blade Runner has deepened with time, a visually remarkable, achingly human sci-fi masterpiece. I agree I with agree that. I agree with half of that. <laughs> I agree with all, with all of that, but mar- most of it is mainly because I've seen it more than once. <laughs> but I think I just disagree with the achingly human. I, th- I don't know. I, I agree. Maybe. I don't know. It, I think that's more in an allegorical sense. Yeah. And lessen the see that. how like the characters. Like I'm definitely. I, I'm not. Like I'm not denying its influence or the fact that over time people have come around to it. Um, I'm sure I will too. Ask me again in 20 years what I think of Blade Runner, <laughs> and I'm sure I'll have a different answer. I'm caught in like five years. Yeah, that's more reasonable. <laughs> yeah, um, but okay. So I'm going to tell you the piece of trivia that will blow your mind and then we can do our end segment and then we will be done but so the end piece of trivia is that a certain comedian by the name of douglas benson is in this movie as a cameo which is like very hard to spot but people have spotted it and it is the weirdest thing because it's like shut the fuck up yeah it's like shut up i am serious doug benson i'm ending this podcast doug benson is in this movie we're done he is in this movie (laughs) as like a police officer in a weird turtleneck for like five minutes and or i mean for for, like five seconds i don't know where he is in the movie i have yet to see him i'm gonna google this shit now i am sending you a picture Right this second. Oh my god. It's the what? weirdest thing. There, I just sent it to you. It's the What the shit? I... So so Matt Gorley has a podcast where he talks to people who were like background roles in certain movies and stuff. And he had Doug on to talk about um, Captain EO because Doug is also one of the dancers in Captain EO, which is amazing. But he also talked about being I... in Blade Runner. <laughs> and that it doesn't blew look like my Doug mind. at all. It's baby Doug Benson. How old is he? He's like in his twenties. Good lord! I know it's so it's so good. What is he doing in this movie? I don't know. He's just in the background, but I still, for the life of me, can't figure out where his scene actually is. This is so weird. <laughs> I'm so glad that I blew your mind. What the fuck? I'm so I'm so happy. Like, that was exactly the reaction that I wanted. And also for our listeners... Everything I said about this movie, I take back. (laughs) Isn't this movie amazing? Can I get more about (laughs) Doug's character? Can I get... spin off about Doug's character. (laughs) Can I just get a movie? Like, Doug Benson, uh, he's a cop who's also a replicant, but just gets high as fuck. (laughs) all the time it's just it's just 2049 but with doug benson's character instead of harrison it's it's really just doug benson being doug benson in the world of blade runner i found you after all these years and he's just sitting on a couch smoking weed what (laughs) what (laughs) you want to play the leonard malton game (laughs) all right cool (laughs) but yeah it like i'm happy that i blew your mind i'm like genuinely happy right now if you did not have picks I would not have believed you. I know. It's one of those things where it's so, like, it's so weird. I still don't believe that he's in Captain EO, even though there are, like, people who have attempted to circle, like, 
pictures of him in the background of Captain EO, I'm still like, nah. -uh. But yeah, so Doug had a little bit of a history of being like a background actor in so things weird. that are really popular. <laughs> Your mind is just blown. I'm still picking up the pieces of my mind. <laughs> like there's some on the wall. And... Oh, that makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> I love this so much. I'm like, we need to go into our last segment, but I also feel like I need to give you a minute to just handle the information you have been given. I feel like the genesis of Doug Benson smoking weed is because of Blade Runner, because he couldn't understand what the fuck was going on. <laughs> Oh, boy. I'm sure you're not entirely off, but still. <laughs> yeah, I'm now just, like, looking at pictures of Captain EO. Like, I don't... God. Yeah, it's... The 80s were very strange, but that's why I love them so much. Because we Man, got all of these... Coke-fueled decade. Ridiculous, like, space things that were so bad. But, but also so good. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, do we want to do our last segment? Yeah. Okay, so an interesting thing with this is that it's hard to play the director game with this because Ridley Scott is very outspoken about how much he absolutely hates superhero movies. He does. Yeah, he's like, they're garbage. They never tell any sort of story. Meh, 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 meh. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny, I'm like, Ridley. I'm like, all right, Ridley. You and James Cameron can go make your confusing, stupid space operas. Um, and not like superhero movies because you think you're yeah. too good for them. Um, but, but in my mind as I was watching this movie, and part of it was me trying to figure out what to place the actors in, I started crafting a hypothetical movie in my head that, it, that you might be on board for, potentially. Okay. So there is a certain DC Comics like event series, I guess is what it's called. And it is... A little more complex than some of the usual events are and a little more there's a little more meat to it to where I could kind mm -hmm. of see him hitting it and it would be Kingdom Come <laughs> what was that sigh was that a good yeah, sigh or yeah. a bad sigh so we're talking about Ridley Scott adapting I'm, it, Kingdom okay, Come so it was mainly me doing a hypothetical in my head and it was mainly me casting this cast in a live action version of kingdom come but then it was also me thinking like there's enough meat to that story that i feel like it could counteract what ridley scott has said about superhero movies about them being like bullshit that doesn't yeah. that don't say anything consistent but so the ridley scott directing it is not an important thing anyone could direct kingdom come but i i was kind of thinking in my head it would have been like Really interesting to see Harrison Ford either be the narrator of Kingdom Come, since it's kind of that like old guy that's yes. the center of it all, or if I was kind of thinking, have him be Alan Scott. See, I was also thinking of him as like a wildcat. Oh, or Jay. Oh, okay. So put a pin in the Jay idea, but oh man, wildcat would be kind of cool. He he's the grizzled I kind of uh, like I don't want none of your shit kind of attitude yeah. where he could pull off Wildcat. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, part of me was just thinking with Alan Scott, it would be kind of fun to like it, from a self-awareness sort of angle to like have 
Harrison Ford, who has been in Star Wars and is known for all of these sci-fi movies, to be like yes. the old Green Lantern who just like is just <laughs> done with everything. Like I was like, that would be kind of a nice <laughs> angle to throw in. And I also oh, feel yeah. like it would be a completely different performance than like Han Solo and all of the stuff that everyone knows him for. But I also was thinking, yeah. there was a point part way through the movie where I was like, I could see this era, like, 80s era of Harrison Ford playing Mr. Miracle. That would be interesting. Yeah. Like, he had just this look to him and just kind of the the performances that he's given in that era that, like, people still lose their minds over today. I feel like would l- that would lend itself I've, really well to him being that kind of character. There was this kind of meme thing going around. Uh-huh like uh like marvel stuff for a while where it was like cast the avengers in every decade yeah uh-huh. and harrison ford was uh captain america oh i can totally see that for like the 70s yeah and it's like i can totally get behind that yeah that i'll have I, to find that and send it to I you i like that yeah but yeah my mind i was just like on dc on my brain but so i was like i want harrison ford in a new in like a kingdom come movie like if they were to make it now i really want harrison ford in it because that would be really fun but um well like with retker hauer i he he totally feels like a jake eric to me in a weird way Especially well, well, he was. Well, remember, he was in Batman Begins. Yeah, but I just mean like. Yeah. I don't know. He like if you look at what he looks like now, he totally has that kind of. Oh yeah. Classic Jay Garrett kind of look to him, that I think would be really interesting. Even though oh I God. really want Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I okay. Um, what? Uh, so the person that we have in the role now. Yeah in the established universe i think they're great they do an awesome job at it but um uh, to to have someone else do it harrison ford because i'm just imagining which i was missing this thing that he does in all of his movies where he wags his finger <laughs> at people okay no, i'm just imagining him doing that to clark kent as perry white oh Yes, <laughs> I. But I'm see. I'm so attached to Lawrence Fishburne's Perry White. <laughs> oh God, it's so pitch perfect. It's amazing what he does with Breaking it. Breaking news: water wet. Water wet. He's he's. I need him in every DCU movie, just with no context. Oh God, me too. Just like him commenting on whatever the hell is happening. But well, we'll see him in Ant Man soon. Oh yeah, that's right. That's weird to me. Yeah, but uh, but no, I. There's definitely like an elsewhere, like elseworlds kind of quality to Harrison Ford being Perry White. That I really like that. I also thought for um, the girl that played Rachel, there was this moment when the moment where she like takes down her hair. I was like, if they ever had made an '80s Birds of Prey, she is absolutely Huntress. Like, <laughs> like. Oh, see, I was just thinking uh, Black Widow. Really? Just keeping like, like an '80s Black Widow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but see that she had that like dark curly hair, like that was totally felt very Huntress esque to me. Yeah. And there was something about her where I'm like, I can totally see her in that part that I think would have been really cool. Like, like I said, my mind just went to some sort of Kingdom Come movie, and that would be super interesting. Yeah, 
I'm like, if you're going to do the weird standalones, just throw that one in there. Like, just don't have it be attached to anything and just tell that story because it would be really weird and cool. But... Oh, see, well, now that I'm thinking about it, we can... Uh, it would be a large page check that the CW would have to pony up, but get Harrison Ford uh, and his wife. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And they could just be Cat Grant and uh perry <laughs> for supergirl why am i forgetting calista flockhart yeah yeah you do realize if that ever became a reality they would have to use like action figures t- for cgi for the rest of the season it would just be like That's robot fine. chicken stop motion of all of the fight scenes legends That's would just fine. be like <laughs> <laughs> nothing <laughs> We could afford 30 seconds of Harrison Ford, but guys, it was worth it. The Wave Rider would just be like a clump of tinfoil, just like flying around on a piece of string. Because <laughs> it's like, we lost all of our budget putting Harrison Ford in here for 30 seconds. Worth it. Maybe. The Harrison Ford reference of like him being within the world of Supergirl was enough for me. Like, yes. that was great. I loved that. But do you know what is worth it? What? following me on social media nice segue <laughs> i know right you can find me at the chris Vito, also on instagram where can the people find you they can find me on twitter at hey it's jenna lynn there you can find a link to all of the articles that i've done for comicbook.com um and you can also find a link to my other podcast which is called delicious flavor and it's a psych rewatch podcast so if you like this but talking about more pineapples and random Easter eggs and like more obscure pop culture references, then check out that podcast too. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, make sure you share this podcast if you like it. Even if you don't like it, share it anyway. Go go review us on iTunes. Um, If you review us on iTunes, the little, like, reviews actually show up when people look for the podcast now, since Apple completely changed their podcast app. Um, Yeah, so please leave a review. It would be greatly appreciated. And subscribe, and tell your friends, and follow us on Twitter at TomatoTomatoPod. And if you want to send us hate mail or love mail, I don't know. Or do you want to suggest movies for us to talk about? Yeah, you can go to... um, tomato tomato pod at gmail.com i think is our account and yes. so you can send us emails through there so yeah i think that's it for this episode i think that wraps it up all right well then until next time keep watching movies bye bye yeah all right well then yeah whenever you're ready to do the intro <clears throat> all right this is the tomato <coughs> <coughs> That failed. Are you okay? Are you? That was unexpected, like phlegm in my throat. Well, you can obviously start Uh. over. No, this is all staying in. No. (laughs) All right, take two. Jesus Christ.